Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Isotope and Native Instruments have teamed up to create the start-to-finish bundle that home recording guitar nerds have been waiting for. Plus, you, dear listener, get an extra 10% off with guitar nerds by using discount code NERDS10 at the checkout on isotope.com. From the creative spark to the final touch, their new bundles include pretty much everything you could possibly need, which is great because it's far too easy to sink hundreds of pounds and a big chunk of your time into just picking up random plugins. The Music Production Suite 4.1 and Complete 13 bundle contains over 30 intelligent mixing, mastering and repair plugins, 65 premium instruments, 20 plus expansions and over 35,000 sounds. And if that's a bit basic for you, they've also bundled Music Production Suite 4.1 with Complete 13 Ultimate, which gives you everything that makes Complete 13 incredible, plus a colossal library of added synths, sampled instruments and effects. 115 plus premium instruments and effects, 39 native instruments expansions and over 65,000 sounds. It sounds like a lot. It is. It's very good, very comprehensive. And as we've come to expect from Isotope, it's very good value. If you're looking to get into home recording, I cannot recommend it more highly. And if you're already into home recording, it it really is the one-stop shop for making what you do sound better. This podcast is entirely treated and produced using Isotope plugins, and Native Instruments have been responsible for almost every synth or sample you've heard on our Guitar Nerds jingles. Check out their great new bundles on isotope.com or follow links in the description of this podcast and use discount code NERDS10 at the checkout for 10% off anything in the Isotope arsenal. Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nerds Podcast, the world's number one guitar podcast. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by Matt Knight. Hello, Mr. Joe. We're back. We're back. <laughs> That's right. We are. We are back, dear listener. Thank you for bearing with us. It's been we took a week off. There's been a there's been a whole dead week in the uh, in the Guitar Nerd series three. I don't think that's ever happened before. I felt really bad about that. I don't think we've ever missed an episode, Joe. No, I know. Even I know. when no one could do it, and I did an episode by myself. <laughs> um, terrible, terrible, really. Um, but yes, but yes, we we did, dear listener. We we took a week off because I was doing a two week tour um with my band of the uk and and ireland um and uh, that, it, it worked out so we we managed to 
I managed to have a little break in the first week so I could come back and record last week's or the week before's podcast. So, of course, we then we talked about a couple of shows that I played there in Brighton and London. But now I've gone off, done the Midlands, the North and then across to Ireland and Northern Ireland and back again up further north and then back down. And what what a globe trotter you are, <laughs> Joe Branton. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, how, how how much have you done of Europe? <clears throat> have you done much? Uh, yeah, we, we've 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 done quite a lot. Obviously, pre Brexit, we would we'd go over sort of once uh, we'd go over once a year for a tour, and then we'd also do the summer festivals. It's just not possible for UK bands to travel outside um, of the UK anymore. It's just it's not it costs too much in in carnets. Um, to be able to do that now so you have to kind of really plan things you can't just like nip over anymore basically because it costs so much to get all your equipment insured and your merchandise it means that you're only ever really going to do it around a release tour whereas before we might be like oh uh you know some french promoters offered us a, a show in lille maybe uh let's book another three shows around that in belgium and holland and go and do a long weekend or something you know mm. so it used to be able to do that whereas now you can't. What a ridiculous decision. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> yes, we we, uh, we we can't, but at least we got our borders back, eh, guys? Hey. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, um, so, uh, so yeah, so not as much. We are going back over there because, of course, we went over to Ireland, which is EU, so we did pay for a car. And I think I covered this, talked about this a bit a couple of weeks ago. So it costs 660-ish quid to get a carnet to ensure your... Uh, well, to not ensure to allow your you to travel with musical instruments and merchandise into into Ireland, but of course we only we only played four shows over there, which is that plus the ferry, which is a you know just shy of a thousand pounds. It's uh, that's a lot of money to make make up across four dates, especially when there's fuel and hotels and food to consider as well. So fortunately, the carne lasts a year. So in March we're going back across um, to. Uh, to mainland Europe, where we'll do France, Belgium, Germany, all those uh, the sort of fundamental places, and then a little bit later in the year, we're going to do an East European tour. To how's the, the uh, How's the math rock scene treating you in <laughs> uh, in Central Mainland Europe? Yeah, good. You know, math and prog, weird music in general, because we don't just get booked on the math scene. We you know, get booked a lot on the prog scene. Tech metal, sometimes. We count a sort of prog metal or avant-garde metal in, to some people, which <laughs> I don't think... Avant-garde metal, wow. <laughs> so we get on those scenes as well, on those shows, and I think weird music in general has more of a home in mainland Europe than maybe it does in the UK. Slightly less obsessed with Radio 1 outside of our borders, so... Um, and slightly more willing to just listen to things that, you know, you haven't been recommended by... I don't know. <laughs> I don't, well, don't I know mean, any presenters um, on Radio One anymore. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I, yeah, can't, there's a time. There's a time and a place when you. Every, not everyone remembers, but everyone would have listened to Radio One for the last time and then gone. Ah, oh, there's more sophisticated radio and music out here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. um, but we all sent, sat there as kids taping the top forty. You can't yep. deny that. Um, but uh, yeah, there was always in Brighton. I'm guessing you can still get it, Joe. I don't know if you ever tuned it, but FIP Radio, which is the French radio station that makes its way across across the river 
um, from France to Brighton. And I talked to one of my French colleagues at work about it, and he's like, yeah, there's no adverts on FIP. It's just like, and they play everything. Wow. I remember listening to FIP when I first moved to Brighton. They were playing like Frank Zappa at like lunchtime. Oh, wow. And you're like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I, I guess as well in the UK, it's so condensed, isn't it? Mm, yeah. It's. I mean, it must be difficult. Like, you really have to spread yourself out to have a fan base in lots of different places because people are willing to travel for, uh, you know, a little bit as well. well it's, it's actually one of the problems speaking to people... Um uh, speaking to people in in the north, uh, even though these the towns aren't that close, Manchester and Liverpool tend to struggle with each other because people will go to one place or the other, mm. you know, to to see a show rather than being able to play both. We we did play both on this tour, and also having Leeds and Sheffield relatively close to Manchester and Liverpool is a big problem because both Leeds and Sheffield have excellent music scenes. Certainly, dear listener, if you're from that those areas in the UK and you disagree with me, I am simply talking about weird instrumental largely <laughs> instrumental prog and math rock i'm sure you know manchester and liverpool probably have great music scenes for some things they do not for weird music um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're so they're close enough to sort of sheffield and leeds which are who are really kind of you know absolute national leaders of interesting music at the moment mm, i wonder why what is it about Leeds? What's in the beer over there, Joe? What's in their craft ale and their beanie hats? Um, well, I'm glad you had a good time. And did you make lots of money and sell lots of records? That's the main oh, thing, Joe. I tell you what, for you know, bear in mind, uh, Matt and dear listener, that we were on the edge of a, an incredibly bad recession. We, we sold an awful lot of stuff. We sold out T-shirts. Wow, uh, which is incredible. We bought like a hundred T-shirts. We had three left by our last show, which is. Um, which is really nice. That's always nice to do. And we sold a bucket of um, of records, some CDs uh, too, things like that. We almost sold out of one of our older EPs that we'd repressed for this and the new album we had, you know, a lot of, but that sold really well as well. Honestly, it's like surprising amounts. We did e- extremely well on merchandise. So that really made the tour worthwhile. And, you know, it, it was it was very well attended in general, which is always very nice when you're making weird music and you can still pack out a venue. That's, that's very was nice. It, um, was it mainly people that had come and seen you before? Or did, did, was there a lot of new faces in the audience? Um, I think there were quite a few new faces. Yeah, certainly when we did the Irish leg of our tour, we were touring with a band called By Curious, who are a, a very good, largely instrumental, kind of more math, more like party party math band party math <clears throat> uh, yeah i don't know think battles and so i watch you from afar oh, okay. bands like that like that sort of like bounce around you know instrumental bands that occasionally go woo that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> uh the, the band that jumps to mind actually for that is abadisi shank right okay. they're kind of that sort of bouncy everything's really happy yeah um Battles. You know Battles? You ever listen to Battles? Yes. Started off as like a five-piece and now they're a two-piece. Two-piece, yeah. (laughs) Everyone knows Battle for that one song though, right? That's Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like a massive song, very good song, but yeah, I can't even. I couldn't even give you a name. I could just pick out the uh, the melody. Yeah. Um. So what uh, what did you end up taking out on tour then, Joe? We did touch on this briefly a couple of weeks ago, but Mm -hmm. 
remind ourselves well, and the listeners what you ended up deciding on for the tour. I took a nice little lightweight rig out with me. So I took a pair of Ashdown ABM 112s, the Neo cabs. They've got handles in the top. And I tell you what, I virtually didn't carry them out of the van once on tour because everyone liked looking macho because they were so easy to carry both of them at the same time. Made <laughs> 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 you look really tough going up the stairs, but they were incredibly light. So I virtually didn't ever have to carry my base rig. And normally I'm touring around a big heavy rig and everyone's like joe you've got to take this and we'll take the thing after it you know so but that so that was nice so i took a pair of pair of those and a tiny little um ashdown original 500 head which is their little class d head it's less than 400 quid to buy and i was just using it for volume i'm not really using any of the eq functionality or anything like that or even the gain control and then i'm i'm getting my my tone off of a blend of the boss uh bc one x compressor which is giving me a lot of sparkle um mm-hmm. to my bass tone and then at the right at the other end of the chain a sans amp um uh vt bass di hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay. kind of an ampeg simulator sort of thing that i'm using just to add i'm using it relatively flat just using it to get a bit of valve-esque grit on my clean sound a bit of a transparent drive to start it and then i can most of the effects are coming from the boss ms3 and i'm sort of chucking those in you know on top of bit ahead of the sans amp so mm. um but that that was that was kind of the rig and then i took uh the base i used for everything was my fidelity my custom build fidelity stellarosa base which I have a Mojo pickups, Dynabase pickup bang in the middle. It's got a little flippable mute kit that I can just, it's like on a push-push. So I can push that out and it pushes a bunch of foam into the underside of the string so I can get a muffled tone. It just has a master volume, no tone control. Instead of having a tone control, I'm essentially using the push-push mute kit to get that oh that's cool that that sort of sound which and is that great was custom design for the bass as well wasn't it did he that's, that's right yeah yeah really good because i use it a bunch um and you know i was nervous about that because it's obviously it's a mechanism and i'm playing it for two weeks you know constantly turning it on and off you don't want it to break on a show what if it breaks and gets stuck on that's going to be a you know a problem for big drive tones or you know so but it it, it was fine it, it was it was a bit of a baptism of fire because i got that bass back only a, really a, a week before we went out on tour mm. so um it it, uh, it certainly stood the test um i i do this thing at the end of the set i'd like there's this big ringing out bit i take the bass off i hold it by the strap up in the air and let the note ring out 
And then as it finishes, I just let go of the strap. So it just falls onto the onto the floor with a big clang. And that's <laughs> that's the, the finish that of the set. That poor bass. I know, I know. But here's the thing. About four or five shows in, I was uh, playing the bass. And I thought it on soundcheck. I was like, God, you know, the action's quite high on that bass because of the mute kit and everything. Mm. The, the, you have to have the bridge relatively high. So it's not, it's not the most comfortable of instruments. But I don't care about this sort of thing. It's fine. Um, but I was, I was, I was like, wow, this is, I could, this is the action is extraordinarily high. This is a real workout. And I played the show, and I was like, yeah, this it was, uh, it was relatively tough, you know. Certainly with some of the noodly bits I'm doing up the high end, it, I was like, this uh, is a real effort. I'm basically pressing a full finger length down on every string. My hand was really, <laughs> really tired by the end, and also tuning all over the place in that show. And I realised at the end of the gig that what must have happened in the uh, in the show before is when I'd thrown the bass, it landed funny and I'd essentially, uh, uh, well, I tell you what, I was looking down the neck and being like, it's fine. Like the neck's got a fine angle on it. I don't understand what's wrong. And then I looked at the back and realized I'd obviously knocked it and it threaded the, uh, the screws on the back plate. So the neck was pushing forward. There was only two oh, screws left God. in the back plate. <laughs> it was nearly uh, sort of hanging. The net was nearly coming off. So <laughs> Imagine if it had come off in I, the gig. I know. The bass would have just folded in on itself <laughs> halfway through the show. <laughs> brilliant. Which, yeah, would not Absolutely have been good. Absolutely brilliant. And what, but, about, um, what about the rest of the band? I mean, obviously maybe not so much sax and keys unless there was yeah, any sure. interesting pedals not, on there. Not, well, I mean, the sax player is playing through, you know, uh, he uses a pog and a bunch of other things, but nothing really, you know, nothing to write home about. Uh, Seymour Duncan Vapor Trails is his delay of choice, which sounds great. Um, but no, the, our guitarist Tim was uh, using a switch between he's got his his signature model was obviously dear listener we spoke about his signature model fidelity jb light bass which has his mojo pickups humbucker size p90 in the bridge it has a built-in unlatched kill switch and it has a toggle for full tone or no tone as well which is rather cool so he was mm. using that guitar for pretty much everything but we have a couple of songs in frip standard tunings perfect fifths and for that he has a silver burst epiphone sg just one of the cheap it's he loves silver bus so he got it because you know it was a limited edition color and it was just you know your standard mm. epiphone standard but he's because it was right-handed he's ripped out all the controls of of it so that he doesn't nudge them because he plays left-handed um so all the controls are missing so when you plug it in it's just on immediately there's no volume control or anything like that mm -hmm. or tone control and he's taken out the neck pickup and he did have a p90 that had fitted in the bridge and he really wasn't getting on with it uh, just before so a few days before we went out he dug out like the old epiphone it was one of the those epiphones that has like pickups designed by gibson and it's okay yeah, you know, yeah whatever the pro bucker is um and he just he just fitted in soldered in the gibson pro bucker in the bridge sounded great and it sounded so good that it got a lot of compliments about the tone of that guitar mm. <laughs> it's just you know i think that guitar costs 399 new you know <laughs> Wow. And uh, uh, it, it did sound really good. And he was using his Fender uh, bass breaker, the um, the 15... The one that you bought him by mistake. Yes. <laughs> that one. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he, he actually really got on with that amp now. So it's the, uh, whatever it's called, the 1830? Was it 1840, I think? 1830, I think it's called. Yeah. So it switches between 18 and 30 watts. Fender's attempt 
at making a Vox style amp. So EL84 valves instead of the 6L6s that you'd normally see in a power stage for a Fender amp. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. Obviously, it weighs a ton, you know, and you have to have the volume on like two and it's still, you know, very gigable. But for Tim's very thin, very mid focus sound, it was extremely good. And uh, I think he got on with it very well. Nice. Um, so, yeah, that was good. And his, his pedal board is very simple. He's relying a lot more on things off of the MS3 these days. But his cornerstone drive tones uh, were the uh, Redbeard FX um, Angry Rhubarb. Okay. Which, which he pretty much has on all the time. Sounds just a fantastic pedal for cutting through a mix. Cause yeah, because of that shapeable... Well, yes. you've got three. Is it three EQs on the Angry Rebar pre, it's post, and three drives? Yeah, three yeah, places three that you can boost the gain. Yeah, pre, post, and then there's the you're boosting the frequency. So it's it's fantastic, and the way Tim does it, you know, within the mix, is getting us to play something, and then literally rotating the um, just the frequency selector with the gain boosted until you can really hear it kind of cutting above everything else and he uses it for that it's it's great it was it's a great way to design a drive pedal and really Mm. useful for a thin for for a piercing cutting um vintage style guitar drive tone did you find that um tim had to really change his sound when he had when you added a keyboard player and a saxophone player because of the frequencies and where he sits in the mix absolutely pedal like that makes quite a big difference i guess yeah absolutely in fact to be honest like it was even a a comment we made about one of another band that we saw um i I won't name them obviously but they they were perfectly accomplished musicians but they were all playing in the same air same place their keys player their bassist their guitarist were all like using the same frequency range and it just meant that out front it was just a mashing of Mm. you like it's it's not just about learning your instrument when you're in a band it's learning where your instrument needs to sit in that band and that's the tricky thing i think with so much gear and so much cool stuff that everyone wants to use is realistically you focus on how it sounds and not necessarily how you fit in as a band. And I think that's always the key, isn't it? It's like you say, yeah. you might have to be happy with a sound that fits in a band mix, but yeah, playing at home, it's not going to, you know, cut the mustard because no. you want a thicker, fuller sound with loads of bottom end and loads of top end and loads of mid. And that just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. In exactly. a band mix, especially live, you know. Exactly. And it's, you know, I, dear listener, I, I've spoken about it a bunch, how the big difference I see between bedroom players or, or almost just normal people that we interact with as part of guitar nerds people at guitar shows collectors because we're normally all of us playing at home and there's such a big difference between people mm. who do that and people who gig or maybe tour more than gig people who put a lot of time into gigging really have to find the gear that works for those situations and that's where that's where being sparse comes into play because you have other band members to think about that's where tour hardiness of equipment comes into play because it needs to be able to last the amount of time that you're gigging for yeah absolutely absolutely yeah well uh, what about the rest of the tour then joe there must have been some interesting gear in the old math rock scene really was just because there were so many different types of bands we play with we could turn up on a bill and they'd be like yeah there's like an instrumental tech metal band you know or maybe there's like a punk math band this night or some 
old 70s style prog band or you know there, there was there were just such a such a broad range of types of players and musicians which means you see everything from those like uh math rock bands are people who build their own pedal boards uh and like as in the woods like some untreated ply and it's a massive board you know it'll be huge it's the size of a desk there's no um there's no controller on it and it's just tons of pedals you know, yeah. you get that. Not, often, none of them that good, just they've got lots of them. Uh, and they'll have an offset. They'll have some Jaguar or Jazzmaster where mm. they've ripped everything out and shoved, shoved like an Invader or something in the in the bridge. You know, you get yeah, that yeah, type yeah, yeah. of musician. And then you'll get the guys turning up with their specifically mono gig bags um <laughs> line line six helixes in in a in a sort of a custom-made soft case for it and uh and you know there it will be a strandberg or something in the, in okay. the case so you get yeah. you get these two huge other ends and everything in between uh of musicians always really interesting but the thing i think actually struck me most about this tour is quite a few by quite a few i mean no maybe no more than a fifth or a sixth of the bands that were playing were either Amplus or had a guitarist who was Amplus, you know, or at really? least one member that was Amplus. Yeah. And I saw a lot of Helix. Sure, there was some Kemper, but Helix was the overriding favourite there. I saw, you know, they played with one band that were bass player and guitarist were Helix and then just, you know, had a, had a drummer separate. Um, do you and, think that was... Um, sorry to jump in, no, but do no, you think that was ease of use or do you think it was tonality so a lot of the sounds and things they were creating was like oh yeah they're going to do that with a multi-effects or was it just a case of they can't be bothered to take a bunch of gear to shows So recently, Guitar Nerd switched to using Lewitt microphones, specifically the LCT440 condenser mic. Now, this mic is super affordable and very versatile. It's what I'm using right now. In fact, there are a bunch of videos from independent studio engineers with way more audio know-how than me comparing the LCT440 to mics three times its value, and it absolutely holding up. Plus, this mic is as good for instrument capture as it is for podcasting, as it is for vocals, which is great because I don't like messing around with mics and I can literally use this for everything. The proof is in the pudding though so here is my Tweed Blues Junior recorded at a reasonable room volume using nothing but the Lua LCT440. Nothing has been added in post, no compressors or EQs. This is exactly how the Lua LCT440 captures the sound of Fender's greatest amplifier. Absolutely pucker. The 440 captures all of the depth and the character of the Blues Junior, and all I had to do was move it over the other side of the office and pop it in front of the amp. So if you're doing anything with home studio vibes, I strongly recommend this wonderful and affordable microphone. 
Check it out at lewitt-audio.com. Uh, well, I tell you, it, it did it definitely looked a lot easier. The people who got to just, you know, we're there on our each band members on their fifth trip down four flight up four flights of stairs, <laughs> you know, with with the various stuff. You know, bear in mind our keys players got three full size keyboards in mm. hard cases, you know, and all the rest. The drummer's got a big kit, you know. We we did we carry a lot of stuff on tour, and seeing these bands roll up with like a helix in a soft bag and a soft bag on their back being like yeah this is all our stuff we're ready to go you know it's obviously ease of use is one thing mm. but i think the reason that it's I, this is hyperbole but i think the the reason that helix might be the the most popular certainly within what i'm doing is is price is mm. because as more stuff has come out as neural dsp has come out as the boss gt 1000s come out as as Kemper's continued to enhance their units and things, the the fact is that you pick up a Helix LT second hand for six hundred pounds. And yeah, you know. and, I, and I just think, uh, well, I don't know if there was ever a necessarily a stigma around using multi effects, but I, I definitely think, you know, in one way you can, you know, cut everything in the studio, use them as an interface, and then take the same sound out on the road and as you say when you're carving your sort of sonic space and if your band's got a particular sound and feel then yeah, yeah. sort of why wouldn't you, do you some know bands I mean? did it better than others and certainly i do still maintain that it it works in some cases like uh with the band we were playing in birmingham with the first band i saw um who were full helix that was a three-piece guitarist playing a strandberg with a helix bass okay. player playing a specter uh five-string specter um with a with a helix and the the thing that um that struck me was it was a 200 cap venue i was standing at the front and i realized there was just no feel to anything because it's all hitting me from the sides out the front of the pa mm. and i went like halfway back and i was like yeah this is this is good, you know. I can hear it from here, and their tones were great, mm. well, uh, well tailored, well put together. The guitarist, especially, it was it was obviously a very well oiled machine, you know. Mm-hmm. That he he'd, he'd really worked it out. But the problem is, in a two hundred cap venue, you've got to think. Well, if I wanted to go for it and was at the front trying to rock out, it's just there's not, you know. I can almost hear your strings. You know, mm. <laughs> it, it just there's just know your audience is is now the time. <laughs> if if you want to play crummy two hundred cap venues, is now the time for a Helix or should you at least have something at the back of stage? What it, um, I, what it loses a lot of feel? What was the vibe on um, in ear monitors? Because obviously, you know, one thing I've noticed, and you know, you follow quite a few different YouTubers that play in bands, mm. and you know, going to you just it, that's becoming a way way more common thing now as well absolutely like, yeah that you know. that band that band in question were on in is um i do think it's an a kind of an essential for if you're going to go ampless you really don't want to be relying on wedge monitors um mm, sure to, to be the only only way you can hear yourself so yeah those were i saw another band where the rest of the band had amps and one guitarist um was ampless but it was with um uh it was with a victory uh on his pedal board one of the v4s on his pedal board right and he was just relying on a wedge monitor 
Wow. So I don't know how he fed on. It was a larger venue, so it was, it, you know, it was, it was kind of okay for, you know, to get away with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I just wonder how that must have felt on stage when you've got the other, your other band members all with amplifiers up there. It's kind of a weird mix. I don't know if it works doing half of it and half not. Although it sounded great out front, I couldn't fault it, you know. I actually didn't even notice for the first bit that one of the guitarists was ampless. So sound mm. engineer had obviously done a good job. But but wow. um, but yeah, so on the question of in-ears, certainly seeing them a lot more than I did. Um, you're, some- you're still old school, Joe, I'm guessing. St- yeah, yeah, still still old school. We obviously wear we wear earplugs. Um but but you know that we, we have custom molded earplugs that have a a, you know, a decibel cut to our taste sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There has been some call for us to move to that sort of thing. I mean, one thing our sax player because we have a lot of like we have two sax parts on a lot of our songs. Our sax player will loop them into a little RC three and right. then play the second part over them. And our drummer just has a lot of sax coming through his wedge, so he can try and keep in time with that and thus keep the rest of us in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, that's a, it's a, diff- a tricky thing to do when, you, when you're going into different venues and you don't know what your wedge is going to be like. And, mm. you know, you, you get, if, you've got, if you're playing somewhere with an analog desk, don't forget this, you're playing somewhere with an analog desk, they can't save monitor mixes. So you're relying on the sound engineer to be good enough to remember where you'd asked for all those things to be when you, you know, from gig to sound check. Yeah, I think that's as well. I've seen people now that they're taking like, not only are they taking in-ears, they've got like a little rack flight case that's just got like a little mixer in it and then like all of the presets are saved and they literally yeah. turn up and plug in and away you go. Yeah, it's definitely becoming more popular. I, th- I think in-ears are probably a chat for, for our band. I think I'm, I'm getting a bit sick of uh, bad monitor mixes putting me off a performance, you know, but. Sort of, well, I mean, it doesn't totally cut out the role of a sound person, but certainly means that they have to do less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, one thing that's very true is when we turn up to sound sound people in general, I find even if they're good at their job, tend to be very lazy. Um, and so you turn up to a show and they won't have looked at your tech spec ahead of the gig. And of we course can, not. Of we course can, not. Yeah, exactly. Of course not. And we can be a bit intimidating for a sound engineer who's maybe used to to doing four-piece rock bands because we'll turn up and we're like, yeah, we have a keys player. He's got three separate keyboards and also there's a sax player over this side. And I think that, oh, and we've got an SPDSX with samples at the back. And that can be a bit scary. And we make that easy because our, our keyboard player has his, has like a pedal board and the DI boxes are actually cut into the mm. pedal board and all labelled up. So all they have to provide is three XLRs and our sax player is actually on his own in-ears. Right. So he, does, he doesn't take a monitor mix. And again, he's got a little mixer on his pedal board. So they just have to provide an XLR to that. So we're easy to deal with in that sense. But... You know, certainly the more complicated the band, the more intimidating it is for a sound engineer. So mm. as soon as you're on in-ears, you're taking a lot of that away from them, especially if you're dealing with your using your own mixer to feed the band their monitor Yeah, and, and I guess a more consistent performance for you just makes it better for turning up in gigs and not having to worry about what it's going to be like when you get there. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's that's definitely a, a thing to consider. I don't think there's anything. There's always a bit of a. I think it's it's a bit macho, isn't it, to sort of be anti uh, in ears. But there's uh, definitely an advantage to just performing better, <laughs> giving a better 
giving a better show. I think all that technology's just got so much better, though, hasn't it? For guitar players, you know, all of that stuff has just got so much better and so much easier and so much more, um, like, affordable, like, obtainable. Well, for I was going to say, but I was going to say, but not cheaper. I mean, it's still, you think, if you need, what would you need? So you've got to get your innies, uh, you've got to get your pack, um, and then and then what, you've got to get your router box, what are you looking at? I don't know, two grand a band member? No, I don't think it's that much money. Um, I'm not going to sit here and Google it right now. No, sure. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure, it, I, don't, I'm, I don't think it's that expensive, I'm, hmm. but I think probably a lot cheaper than the insane amounts of money it was obviously sort of 10 15 years ago when that technology was like brand new yeah and i guess the same as things like helix and stuff and multi-effects like you say like the price has come down massively Mm. and the quality has got so good and what people can do for the money as well and you're seeing a lot of remember the first time we saw like moa pedals in the shop and now you're seeing like brands you know that almost come you know, cheaper than Moa that are making multi-effects with full-colour touchscreens for, like, yeah. $200. Yeah, was it Valaton that, that put yeah. out one recently? And I, I saw it and I was like, well, I mean, this looks pretty good. We obviously, we got that Moa one uh, for guitar notes. I think they they sent that to us. Mm. And, and it was great, you know, for for what it was. It, it was fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think side-by-side side personally against a lot of the, you know, the big guns, as it were. Uh, I think there is a sound difference and a quality oh, and a feel uh, difference. Uh, but in terms of, you know, again, breaking down the barriers of price to make things more accessible for a range of players, I mean, it's just crazy, really. Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly I know this is the case with um, with all of the multi-effects companies, but with Line 6, just because it's the one that I experienced with them, the amount of updates and new features, new pedals, new ways of... Uh, new ways of using the pedal that they keep adding when the only time I paid for it was when it came out, you know, whenever that Mm. was now, six, seven years ago, it's, uh, you know, they keep improving it without any spend. So it means people coming into it now, if you you, you buy the multi-effects of your choice once and all those companies are adding new stuff all the time. (laughs) So you get a bunch more free stuff for it, which is, uh, so the pedal you invested in a while back just keeps getting better yeah absolutely i think that's you know and that's that's important now as well isn't it it's like that ongoing ongoing support that sort of you know value for money yeah type thing isn't it but for me it you know it comes back to the fact that i did try helix i did try like to use the 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 gt 1000 and it it came back to the fact that me and tim just wanted simple old school amps behind us and actually all we wanted was effects and having all that other stuff almost is option paralysis a bit Mm. and so for us the ms3 for for a start one of the things that certainly put us off about the helix lts when we got them was that they're plastic and uh, i just i uh you know i don't know how rugged that's gonna be it it doesn't fill me with confidence things like that and so having a proper big metal chassis ms3 that's indestructible and me and tim are using the same ones that we used since we shot that video with you matt god which was like what 2017 (laughs) yeah something that's yeah 2016 maybe even but you know it was it was a long old time ago we're still using the same ones sure some of the buttons have fallen off of mine now and i've butchered on 
foot switches from other effects pedals but you know it's it the amount it's been gigged and they're still going strong still providing all the tones that we need and it's not like we even stick to stuff every time we're making a new record we're dialing back into the ms3 and finding new things because that's kind of a thing isn't it once you found those sounds you sort of just set and forget so when you're Absolutely. recording new stuff it's nice to dive back into the pedal and find new things yeah and so I, I still feel like for as um fickle as i am with all gear the ms3 is the pedal that just keeps giving yeah i think um you're right on option paralysis i mean you know my big board has got a switcher on it and a bunch of pedals and stuff like that i think you know you actually spend so much time programming and find out saying like i love this sound i love this sound i love this sound and actually i tend to find you know as much as it pains me to say it that actually sometimes just picking up two or three pedals and just plugging it in into a tiny te- pedal board way more fun and way more enjoyable rather than like oh you kind of keep feeling like you need to change stuff because you've got so many things in front of you if you know what i mean yeah um so yeah, I can see you know I can see the thing about and then yeah we, when you go down to it you might dive into it and you might find a bunch of other stuff again in the future but I a few a couple of pedals and set and forget you know don't get me wrong I love having a big pedal board but ultimately you know just a couple of pedals every now and then which was uh, which was good for me when I started to pack up my house getting ready to move and I filled four. Uh, <laughs> Trucks. 30 for trucks <laughs> four 32 liter um storage boxes just with pedals wow i've then filled a further 10 um 11 liter storage boxes with just bits and pieces and cables and machines that go beep uh then i've got one two three four five pedal boards um, unbelievable and then i've got some like under the bed storage boxes which have just got gear that's too big to fit in like normal storage boxes uh <laughs> and then four 60 liter storage boxes just with the boxes because <laughs> uh, you can't throw away a pedal box <laughs> um so yeah somehow it's all got to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's before I even start packing up guitars and stuff. It's just like, oh my God, it's just ridiculous. It's going to take um, you forever. Indeed, indeed. But um, yeah, sounds like a good tour overall, it, Joe. Sounds like it, a good tour. It was, it was good. It was gear filled. Everything was reliable. Everything worked. Nothing broke across, you know, a two week tour, which is very good. So, you know, all in all, I'm uh, extremely happy with it just uh I, I want to i want to talk about because you went to a, a gig mat um to to see sixth i want to talk about that but just before i do I'm, i'll come back to that irish band that i we were oh, playing yeah. with called by curious just because i want to talk briefly about a very interesting guitar setup um two piece the guitarist playing a stratocaster um and he uh he has the, it was the best amp setup and pedal setup ever so he's using a gig rig um, one of the big gig rigs, which is a handful of pedals on, on his board. Yeah. But the amp setup is two Roland JC40s nice. to either side of the stage. And then um, he uses, he was using a bass rig, my bass rig actually, but with his own EBS bass head um, as, as to channel his, to send like an octave down bass signal to. 
The right. sound was huge. Just the idea of having the stereo amps and he was ping-ponging between them. He, he had it like, it was a stereo set, so he could do the ward of sound thing, but he was doing stuff with like slapback delays where the amps were going, you know, on, on, on each side. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very, very clever. Very For a two-piece, I've never seen anyone make as much noise and make that noise as fun. You know, two pieces have come a long way since Royal Blood, you know, started running a bass through a couple of guitar amps. This was clever, intelligent, well thought out. And, I, you know, Strats aren't the biggest sounding guitars, but it was perfect for them because it gave him the, uh, it was so articulate, mm. but so heavy as well because of what it done for it. And the JC40s just sounded absolutely amazing. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, JC40s, um, I mean, I've got a JC22, but JC40, you know, just really clean you know allows you to run a lot of pedals through it uh, got to be careful a couple of times with the old drives sometimes drives can get a bit uh tough you know they can be a bit top endy uh through a through a jc40 but ultimately they are really good clean pedal platform yeah yeah i it, it i absolutely fell in love with the amps seeing him use them every day mm. and also just because they're relatively lightweight easy to transport they're just a two-piece so you know they've got to bring all this gear um it was it was uh it was great lovely Um, but anyway let's uh let's talk about let's talk about the gear of sixth because you went to see them recently i did indeed so for any listener who isn't familiar because they were certainly i would say bigger in the uk than they were big in um in america Um, but basically sixth are the original i i no actually maybe that's quite strong i'll get I'll get slaughtered for that. But one, basically one of the kind of really early, like tech metal bands that effectively were one of the two founding pillars of gent music. Um, You have Meshuggah on one side, eight strings down tuned, very tech, um, you know, kind of wall of sound. And then you basically had sixth whose first record, um, Death of a Dead Day came... No, was Death of a Dead Day the first one? No, that was the second album. The Trees Are Dead and Dried Out and Waiting for Something Wild was the first record in 2003. Uh, it was self-produced and it really was a game-changer in terms of guitar playing because it was odd-time signatures. It was sort of really heavy what we know now as genty guitar sounds that were very down tuned, but so much like technical prowess in terms of like, they, you know, the two guitarists, Dan Weller and pin were just doing stuff that people just weren't doing playing guitar in 2003. I mean, I think I first discovered them in 2005 when I first moved to Brighton. Um, and I saw them a couple of times in Brighton, just absolutely mind blowing. They're in guitarist magazine a couple of times. And then they did a second record in 2006. And then they basically went on like hiatus. But in that period, you effectively had uh, Misha Mansour uh, of now Periphery basically being one of the lead people on the sixth forum uh, on, you know, somewhere on the internet. And that's where he was putting all his mixes and obviously periphery. And even he said like they were like the most influential band in terms of his playing and his style. And obviously you see that everywhere on Instagram now, that kind of playing Mm. style, those kind of riffs. And they were doing it like 20 years ago. 
And I just watched it and I was just in awe of like how good and like still how fresh all the songs sounded and how everyone there knew all of the words. And, <laughs> and you know, not even that. And I think we've talked about it before, Jay, but when a band can write a riff or a guitar part that people sing the guitar part or no specific guitar parts. There's like all these tiny little runs and like odd, like dissonant, like notes that people were like singing, like in between the actual like vocal bits. It was, yeah, absolutely just a mind blower gig. It was their 20th anniversary. They did three 20th anniversary shows where the audience got to vote for the set list um before the show so every show had like well every show was the same set list but it was an absolute banger of a set list and it just made me realize like how good that guitar sound was and how good they were doing it before everyone else basically um and it must have been it must be well weird for them now doing stuff that they're just seeing like obviously there's like people that are even more technical out there now but they were just doing this technical heavy metal that no one else was doing um and when i first saw them live they were playing the same two guitars they played uh on saturday uh which was black machines isn't it yeah yeah well pin was playing a black machine and dan weller was playing a prs which i think he's played for i think so i remember there was a video they did in guitarist magazine like 2004 uh, which was like really in the early days. In fact, it was before YouTube, but it was when Guitarist Magazine used to come with a DVD. And then you put that in and like the video lessons and everything they did was on the DVD. Uh, back when you could send a DVD for free with a magazine. Um, and yeah, he had a PRS where I think he taped up the neck pickup. And then right. yeah, Pin played a black machine. Um, and then they were both running through diesels. Way, uh, uh, oh yes, yes, big, you know, big uh, diesel amp users. But Black mm. Machine, such a s- small company, probably one we've never mentioned on on the uh, on the podcast. No, and you know, you don't really see a lot of people using that. They are still a brand. Um, Black Machine, I guess, most recognisable for their headstock. Um, their headstock is like a reverse hockey stick. <laughs> I guess you yeah, would so say the, in some the ways. The strings pass over nothing at some point, if that yeah, makes sense, the, Yeah, Yeah, basically you've got... And I'm sure someone said that it was something to do with sound or string and, vibration at some point, but I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, sure I'm not, not so sure. <laughs> um, but they're very much the sort of thing, they're that clean, um, bound metal guitar that's become very popular that simple heavy metal guitar that i think ibanez have done a lot of maybe ormsby to an extent um the the sonars things like that is Mm. that kind of that kind of vibe of something very heavy but very simple the the Mm. new era of metal guitars you know it's no longer plastic coated flying k's with uh floyd roses it's now just about being rugged well actually interestingly i am on the black machine website and they are actually closed for orders and it looks like he hasn't actually had an available guitar since march 2019 oh wow um so maybe not around anymore but yeah they were basically 
still using the same guitars. They didn't change guitars for the entire set. Um, and I'm pretty sure that while they were had diesels, they also had helixes on stage as well. Right. Um, and yeah, just this kind of brutal guitar sound, loads of like, and just to me as a guitar player, more like just watching just the technical aspects of what they were doing and going, man, can't believe how ahead of their time it all felt. Yeah. You know, like two, all this two handed tapping stuff, all these odd time signatures. And then even more so, I think is influential is James Leach, the bass player's bass sound. Because it, it is the, like, the epitome of, like, what you know now as the modern metal, like, ultra-punchy bass sound. Well, that's <laughs> you know, um, it's just, like, it's just, yeah. And then when he does, he does loads of slap and, like, tap stuff. And you know how, like, it almost just sounds like a guitar basically uh yeah super percussive super percussive but yeah it really felt like i I guess the way i liken it the what the thing i always think of is that like dingwall modern you know and then a dark and dingwall and dark glass basically yeah yeah um to effectively have a guitar that's tuned an octave lower but the stuff he was doing again i was like man you you don't realise like how crazy that was um like twenty years ago. So it was an amazing gig. Uh just amazing music and it was great to see them again. It's the third time I've seen them and yeah, it's like a fifteen year gap between wow. the two gigs. But definitely a band. If you haven't listened to them but you do like periphery and animals as leaders and all of that stuff, then you must go and listen to Sixth S I K T H. They are very good indeed. indeed. Now, now, Matt, uh, the the next next point of it, we, we've got we've got a choice. Okay, uh, for the next bit of the podcast, um, we can talk about the reverb bestsellers, which uh, which we've been promising to do the last couple of weeks, or we can talk about some things from the news of the week. Um, do you? I have a think preference? I think we should do reverb. Let's I think everyone's it, seen the lists, but everyone yeah, yeah. is on tender hooks waiting well, for yeah. our opinion <laughs> of uh, of this list that they've already read well, I don't several know. I, times. I don't know if everyone's read these lists. I don't know if everyone bothers with these. And certainly, where's the fun in a list, dear listener? Isn't it more exciting when me and Matt are tearing that list Absolutely. apart? <laughs> um, I think what's interesting with these lists, they actually did a whole bunch of ones. Obviously, the ones we're most interested in are effects and guitars um they've done an amp one but i think the amp one is less i think actually the amp one is quite telling of where the world is in terms of yeah 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 um things but actually the guitar one and the effects one are very very interesting well, where do you uh, want to start let's get Joe? through them all so let's start at the top so the guitars they've done this is great they've done best selling guitars released in 2022 that's our gear on the list. Reverb. Gear, that, that's how we that's how, <laughs> that's we, how we do gear of the year what's in gear of the year and <laughs> um, but they've also done best selling guitars of 2022 which is great and important because of course so much of reverb is uh pre-owned stuff so it's mm. good to see how how that stuff's so it's good to see how pre-owned stuff does against new stuff interestingly because well, of I course think, best um, guitar of 2022 would include new releases and old releases well yeah best guitar so just um 
for for listeners the 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 rankings I put together a total order count that's number of items not price um and then anything that was exclusive to reverb is not in those rankings right um so that could be individual sellers bricks and mortar guitar makers rankings include all sales whether brand new or used but of course as you say joe released in 2022 is mainly going to be new um but um yeah there's a few there's a few interesting things in there i think Mm. the one that uh i mean i'd love to know the actual numbers obviously the actual numbers aren't in here Uh, but at number five the tim henson signature a man that as we're talking about yeah as talking about tech the ibanez tod 10n tkf which is his uh sort of spanish style uh acoustic electric i mean that is that is mad really when you think about it it's like it's not even like an electric guitar it's a nylon strung with barely any body to it it's really thin the sound wow. hole is on like the upper belt also i i would this is uh, look i hate this guitar and i hate that band and i hate tim henson but you know those personal opinions aside this is great because i tell you what there aren't any 65 year old fellas buying the ibanez tim henson signature <laughs> spanish acoustic this is no. all this is all kids and, and young people buying that guitar and how lovely to see so who is someone who is a young player who's influential to young players having such an influence on the industry rather than you know another joe bonamassa les paul that's going to be bought by a bunch of 70 year old collectors like you know this is mm. it's great to see something that they're getting behind i mean obviously in my opinion tim henson and the people buying this guitar have terrible tasting guitars but <laughs> great that they're picking up a guitar i can't knock that it's uh it's well i think cool. it's just it's it's a real you know to see those i think that what's interesting is the one below that in sixth place is the hat george harrison rocky strat so it's yeah. it's amazing to see that you've got in this whole list uh and if uh dear listener you want to see the whole list you can go to reverb.com and you can read the entire list from top to bottom um we'll pick out i guess we'll pick out a few of our favorites joe but um yeah i mean it's amazing to see such that mix but of course number one at the top prs se silver sky released this year and the biggest selling guitar of not only uh biggest selling guitar released this year but also the biggest selling guitar on reverb this year yeah one two categories they must have moved a lot of units of that and what a great idea i mean by prs you know did put aside again my my very well documented opinions on this guitar and and the artist that it's attached to that i mean brilliant work by prs released the guitar 2200 pound custom you know you know big proper prs thing release a few custom colors and things like that let it sit there for a couple of years and then bow make it affordable and mm, release absolutely. a bunch of great colours. And it's obviously, from a marketing perspective of releasing guitar, they've done an incredible job and people have lapped it up. The opportunity to own a, a Silver Sky. And, of course, they made a few changes with the SE, didn't they? They've lost the 7.25-inch uh, radius, mm-hmm. um, which would have been maybe one of the most off-putting things for people as it's such a taste thing. Yeah, I just... Um, I mean... You're right, though. It's it's making that thing unobtainable, learning how to make that guitar and then going, okay, now we can make a cheaper one. And actually, there's a fact on here, Joe, which I missed the first time I read on this list, which is 
bonkers. So last year, the original Silver Sky, so the American-built PRS Silver Sky, outsold all American-made fenders on Reverb. Um, Which is just, yeah, which is just absolutely crazy. Think how many they're shifting over there. (laughs) Uh, And while that's no longer true this year, uh, the Made in Indonesia SE Silver Sky outsold all other guitar models on Reverb, no matter where in the world they were built. Yeah, that's so. Uh, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, so you've got SE Silver Sky Fender Player Strat um, at number two. Actually, oh, you're doing the other list now. I'm doing. Well, I'm just sort of. Oh, they're yeah. very similar, Joe. So the Player Strat. So in biggest selling electric guitars of uh, of 2022, not ones that were necessarily made this year. Certainly, the year of the Strat. I mean, if we want to talk about the top four of the top five in best selling electric guitars of 2022, are all Strats. Silver Sky in at one, Player Strat in at two, Professional Strat in at three, Silver Sky, the proper one, in at, at four, and then the yeah, Player Telecaster gets in at five. But my goodness, we're in a very stratty time period, aren't we? It's, I mean, I'd love to see what um, what you know shop sales are like on boat shoes and white chinos. <laughs> Yacht rock. Um, uh which is a term that I've discovered recently, yacht rock. Um, but yeah, I think what's it was interesting is you've basically got, and then you go down from that Gibson fifteen sixty standard American professional telly, and then you're just seeing this like barrage of basically squires, uh, which yeah. is amazing. You know, there's a few more Gibsons dotted in there, but apart from that, it's all of the cheaper i mean american standard strats still in there but jay mascus jazz master affinity strat classic vibe 60s jazz master 50s telly classic vibe squire affinity telly i mean obviously they're much cheaper so they're going to sell in quantities sure, but you sure. think squat you know a prs se silver sky outsold a squire affinity telly um yeah, <laughs> yeah. the only effectively it's either squire fender gibson or prs mm-hmm. apart from an ESP LTD EC1000, which is the the Les Paul, the Eclipse, yeah. <laughs> the, the classic Eclipse uh, ESP that is basically a Les Paul. Well, what struck um, me is there are basically no modern guitars. Very few modern guitars making their top twenty there. No, everything's yeah, very traditional. Few, very Considering few. how powerful, how what a big genre metal is at the moment, it's interesting to see how much you know strats offsets and tellies are dominating the list fender and squire obviously completely dominating but you know really traditional guitars absolutely dominating reverb at the moment i'm i'm i don't necessarily think that's because they're more popular i think maybe there's more choice or maybe sort of modern metal guitars people are more likely to buy from a smaller luthier uh, or something like that so there's you know different things whereas if you want a if you want a strat you want a fender you know well, actually, I guess that's not the case with the PRS. Bad example. If you want a Jazzmaster, you probably want a Fender Jazzmaster. Mm. You know, absolutely. And then I think what's super interesting, just moving down to the next part, Joe, because this is obviously a uh, contentious spot for this one, um, because some would say it's a guitar, some would say it's a bass. Mm. Um, the best-selling bass guitars of 2022, number one. Squire Classic Vibe Basics. Unbelievable. I mean, goes to show how much impact the um, the Beatles Get Back documentary has had on the oh, industry. Oh, well, I would say personally it's guitar nerds going all the way back <laughs> 10 years ago when we were like, 
best thing you'll ever buy, mate. Gear of the year. <laughs> and then people have been hanging on our every word ever since. Yeah. Uh, John Lennon. Rubbish. <laughs> um, no, but I think definitely... I mean, it's an odd instrument, isn't it? Realistically, it's an odd instrument, but it's been made affordable. It plays really, really well. Uh, it sounds really good straight out of the box. And it's yeah. just a bit of fun for not a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I, it, they're fantastic. I mean, the, the bass list I thought was really interesting. The fact that there isn't a jazz bass in the list until number nine. Dominated, yeah. in fact, by short scales and P bases for the whole upper list. Interesting to see Rickenbacker four double threes so high up on the list, considering still a classic. How hard they are to find. Stunning Stingrays. So Stingray seems to be popular again, getting in at number six, which is fantastic. Lovely to see the Bronco bass make an appearance at eight, which I assume was us. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah it was, although I tell I tell you what's interesting, and again I. I guess maybe you could work out like realistically how many units they're talking of because with the bass one, I guess bass players start to run out of ideas because you've got um, the kind of classic Ibanez SR300E, uh, which is their kind of the classic Ibanez uh, sort of modern-ish bass, yeah. I guess you would say. The Hofner Ignition Pro Violin bass, yeah, I get that. And then... Um, Fender Precision Bass, 1970 to 1983. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you don't get that in any of the guitar lists, do you? Because you, you guitarists, you're less tasteful than us. We're still buying vintage gear. Vintage gear makes it into our top list. You can have your uh, John Mayer signature models, guitar players. We'll buy the good old vintage basses. But I think what's amazing there, um, so Fender Precision Bass, 1970 to 1983, number 11 in four-string instruments, a top product. Uh, just looking at some of the prices here, 2,450, 4,500, 2,400, 3,200. You know, they're not, that's not cheap. No, And, no. you know, they're still selling in that quantity. It just goes to show how good, you know, those bases were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they definitely are. I think it's been a, a really interesting year, more interesting than anything else uh, than any other year I've seen things. You know, it's... And not a lot of stuff that's to my taste is making top top lists here. I mean, it goes to show how much Fender are dominating at the moment. I'm really glad that it's all classic gear, um, mm. but it's it's interesting to see how it's going. I coming back to that first list, the best best selling gear of this year, um, the classic vibe baritone custom Telecaster in at number two. How cool is that? That that's the second best-selling new product of this year, a baritone telecaster. Like, and you've seen those baritone tellies, like the the sixty-style bound telly with a rosewood neck, but it's a baritone. I what think an incredibly cool product. I think that's the thing, though, isn't it? It's like, what do you sell a guitar player who already has everything? Yeah, you know, guitar players, guitars, you know, and equipment has just become so accessible in the last like ten years, and price has come down where, at, but quality has increased. Mm -hmm. And you know, I look at, I've got what twelve guitars here. You know, none of, you know, a couple of them are really expensive, but most of them are sort of like averagely priced. And I sort of go, yeah. if I want to buy another guitar, what, what do I really buy that's different? Do you know what I mean? I was, you right. go, oh yeah, baritone. You're like, yeah, but. You know, you used to look at baritones and you used to go like, oh, I don't really want it to be like a metal guitar or stupidly expensive. And you go, actually, this looks like a telly. 
it just sounds slightly deeper yeah. and it's like 360 <laughs> quid i mean it's in some ways i find it a stroke of genius because i'm just like yeah. yeah why why wouldn't you i guess that's um, a really good point that you touched on there matt there are a lot of guitars in this list that are the sort of instruments that people take a punt on like there are yes. a few guitars here that are people going yes this is my ultimate guitar most of them are people being like yeah i do fancy that and that is a good price but that's where Squire are winning, I think, at the moment. Absolutely. It's just the, the range of equipment that they're putting out is and just they're, so very They're not good. crap, which is, you know, I think <laughs> if you if you put out a bunch of guitars like that and they were all rubbish, people would slowly cotton on. These aren't very good guitars. Well, I mean, we didn't all used to buy Squires, you know? No. No, it's, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely I, and again, to I, how well they're doing. How I well think they're some making people them. had Squire on their headstock and went, oh, I can't go out with Squire on their headstock. Um, but in terms of new guitars, one uh, thing that I think is really interesting, and I think this is a great guitar, is the Guild Surfliner. Is is right and bang in the middle of the list. Wait, new, what? The Guild new, Surfliner is yeah. in the list. That is that is insane. Yeah. Right in the middle of the list, uh, number ten of gear released this year. Something on reverb. Explain it to the listener because I don't think the Surfliner is an. Well, I mean, it's obviously a popular guitar, but explain it. Well, to... maybe it's all uh, Ryan from Sixty Cycle Hum on this one, but <laughs> yeah. um, it is effectively, I guess, a mixture between a kind of Strat and maybe an offset uh, with a hardtail through body, uh, HSS, some sort of vintage rocker switches on the upper horn for your kind of pickups on and off volume tone mixture between the kind of classic sears woolworths kind of instruments but maybe with a you know kind of more modern vibe um to the price i think is one of the things that makes oh, it I easy mean, it's crazy three an average of sort of three eight nine three seven nine in pounds in pounds um you know so yeah gills really really making an impact there i think which is which is great and i mean yeah you only have to look at the transaction history um and go back for 2022 i mean you can count how many guitars are on here i probably won't do it on the podcast but there's sort of <laughs> like i guess about 10 10 11 products per page and there's one two three four pages so 44 plus one two four so it's nearly 100 guitars so let's just say best-selling new guitars this year guild surf liner in at number 10 around 100 sales on reverb well so gives you an idea of where the other ones may fall yeah. but yeah an interesting an interesting year should we look at pedals uh, well I, I think uh we should do that over on the patreon exclusive episode oh. of the podcast keep those people waiting <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're gonna we're, we're uh, we've come up to time on this week's episode so let's talk about effects pedals and amplifiers uh over on this week's patreon dear listener come over and and join us uh, it's patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds you can become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month at the dollar tier you'll get this episode ad free and early but if you want that extra episode then you'll need the five dollar tier you can also join a ten dollar tier of super mega exclusive people get all the benefits and i'll sing you a song at the end of every week's episode find us on all your favorite social media platforms join the guitar nerds group on facebook which is where the bulk of our discussion takes place thanks for listening you've been lovely we've been the guitar nerds farewell goodbye Listen to me, guitar.
Stuart Barry, Gress Big, Steve Davis, Danny Walker, Jorrit Brown, Andy Hoffler, Holly Simpson, John Conway, Russell Healing, Paul Drew, Peter Pesh, Ty Allen, Yogi the Guitarist, Sean Hughes, Brian Hansen, Eric Emma, Jeffrey Wax, Brian Einsler, Gavin Vanden Linden, Andy Manley, Marley Zau, Kandawaki, Simon Milborn, and Stuart Robson, Eric File, Joe Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.